Hello and welcome to Pelvic Floor at its Core, the only podcast out there that is brought to you by a women's health medical technology company. I am your host, Shravya Cavella, Pelvic Floor Physical Therapist and Business Development Manager at Flight by Pelvidol. We have a unique approach at Pelvidol. We believe our product, Flight, can provide life-changing outcomes, but we also know that no single treatment is right for everyone. We are therefore working hard to increase the collective knowledge out there about the importance of the pelvic floor. Because the more we work together, the more we can work towards increasing access to pelvic floor care so all women can truly live their best lives. On this podcast, I bring on pelvic health experts to talk about a variety of topics that any and every woman and clinician can relate to and learn from. It's always informative, always interesting, and we always have fun. So let's get into it. Hello to all my wonderful pelvic health listeners. We are talking about a really great topic today. Have you ever heard of the children's book called Everybody Poops? Well, it's true. Everybody does. And so it only makes sense that we make sure we know how to take care of our bowel movements So you guessed it, we are talking about constipation. According to the NIDDK, or the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, about 16 in 100 adults have constipation, and that number becomes 33 out of 100 in adults ages 60 and older. And certain people are at a higher likelihood to become constipated, and included on this list are women, especially during pregnancy or after giving birth, older adults, and those with certain health problems. So, do you know how to poop properly? Do you know the definition of constipation? We have a lot of great talk about all of this today with our lovely guest, Jennifer Morgan. Jen is a pelvic health physical therapist and owner of Centrality Physical Therapy and Wellness in Connecticut. She shares her story with us about her injury that led to a strong interest in pelvic health, and then drops a ton of knowledge about how and when to have a proper bowel movement what it should look like, how to know if you're constipated, and what to do about it. And remember, y'all, everybody poops. So let's get talking about it. Hey, Jen. Hey there. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Even more great that we're talking about constipation. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm also so excited. It's something super sneaky that people think is common, and we're going to dive in. I know. I always feel like, is it normal to be excited about constipation? But it is. I think it should be. So I think it should be too. So I want to know first just a little bit about you and how you came to start your own practice. Sure. So I ended up starting my own practice as a pelvic health practitioner because I was a patient. So I actually ended up having a tailbone injury, literally landed on my butt in the middle of Scottsdale Road when I was living in Arizona, and I had a little bit of a a tailbone, we'll just call it pain in the butt, right, more or less. Yeah. And I couldn't sit, and I was having pain with, like, pooping, and I was having just a lot of, like, overall discomfort. And so a professor of mine, when I was in PT school, was like, you should probably go seek out a pelvic health therapist. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. Like, I'll try anything at this point. And it completely changed the trajectory of what I thought my career path was going to be. I thought I was going to be a pediatric PT. And it turns out 
no, this is actually where I'm meant to be. And seeing that this is such a need and it's also something that most people don't realize exists. I mean, truthfully, from the time I was a patient until the time I was a practicing PT, I mean, I just like, you know, gobbled up all the information and started practicing. It was just such a, you know, not a great experience, but it turned into something amazing. I think it's really cool that you had that exposure while you were in PT school. Totally. You know, I, I did not know much about pelvic health until I started practicing in the orthopedic world and I actually had an injury as well. And oh. of course, like, I don't know, once you live that role, you just, you just want to know so much more. So I'm sorry that you hurt your tailbone, but I'm happy <laughs> that it brought more of you and, and your passion into the world. So that's really cool. It is. It is really, really cool. Something that you would think would be so negative ended up being so positive in the most life-changing way. So you started your practice. I know you see all sorts of patients, but you're especially excited to talk constipation today, which I love. And I think a lot of people just don't necessarily know what constipation is. I think it would be really beneficial to just simply say, like, how would you define constipation? Absolutely. I feel like Talking about poop and talking about constipation is something that needs to be done more often. I feel like constipation or any poop-related topic is like the most shared and liked content on my Instagram page. And it's because it can be broken down so clearly, right? So constipation really is either not going often, which is what most people think, right, where we're going less than three times a week. But constipation also can be not going well, right? So there is a chart called the Bristol stool chart. I encourage you, if you don't know what that is, Google it right now, pull it up. <laughs> and when you pull it up and you look at it, it's going to have seven different variations of what your poop could look like. And type one and type two, so little rabbit pellets and then shorter, stockier pieces, those are also a sign of constipation. And so if you're falling into type one and type two, even though you're going every day, you're still typically constipated. So looking at not just frequency, but also consistency. You got it. So how are we meant to poop then? Like what is considered normal? Ooh, let, let's talk optimal, right? Because I feel like normal is something different for every single person, right? My norm is going to be totally different from your norm versus, you know, some other person on the street. Totally. Um, optimal, I like to shoot for like a bristle stool four, right? Something that's longer, smooth. It's also relatively easy to pass, right? We do not need to hold our breath and we do not need to strain. Also, when we're talking about how are we meant to poop, let's talk about positioning because positioning also does matter in terms of how we sit on the toilet and also how we honor our, you know, body's function throughout the day. So positioning, you know, if you have some like a step stool underneath your feet or if you, you know, have your feet slightly elevated, bringing your knees closer to your shoulders this helps your pelvic floor to relax. And so this helps, you know, or creates more ease, if you will, to have that bowel movement. And also we want to honor our urges. So when you sense the urge to go, honor that urge to go, because that will also help to make sure that pooping is happening the way it's meant to happen. So you mentioned pelvic floor. And I think a lot of people, when they think constipation or bowel movements, they're thinking about their GI system, which we can get more into, you know, diet, um, yeah. colon, stomach, et cetera which of course do play a role, but I think pelvic floor is not often associated with that, right? We're like, oh, pelvic floor, 
just general society thinks about pregnancy and postpartum. But when we talk about poop, that is not often associated with it. So what does your pelvic floor have to do with poop? Oh, great question. And I think you're so right. I think most people think it's mostly gut related, GI related, which that has a role. But your pelvic floor, right, is the door to the outside world of your rectum, right? Your pelvic floor, your external anal sphincter is part of your pelvic floor. And so when a pelvic floor is potentially too tight, when things are moving through that GI system and into the rectum, which the rectum is in your pelvis and sits on top of that pelvic floor, we're not really perceiving the signals the same because our pelvic floor is a little bit too tight. And so that can actually contribute to, you know, things staying in the rectum longer, not having the signal to go poop. And then we're, you know, going less frequently, or it's also more difficult to poop. And so your body says, I don't want to do that. And, you know, we naturally have this avoidance mechanism. So pelvic floor does play a role in how we let poop exit our body, but also how our brain interprets what's in our rectum. So if someone is listening right now and they're like, hmm, I'm figuring out that I might be constipated, mm. as, how could they determine whether their pelvic floor is playing a role in their constipation or if it's driven by GI issues? That's a great question. And truthfully, every single person who walks in my door, my mind always says, you're constipated until you prove me wrong, which we will talk about the case study today too. But... If individuals are trying to decipher if it's like GI or diet related versus pelvic floor related, you know, pelvic floor symptoms also will shine through potentially that will also be little, you know, yellow or red flags for you, right? So other things that can potentially be a sign that your pelvic floor may be playing a role in how your pelvic floor is not functioning as well include urinary frequency or urinary urgency, maybe pain with any sort of penetration, whether that be for intercourse or even like a, you know, GYN exam, your annual exam. Constipation can be paired with some difficulty going to the bathroom, right? Like incomplete emptying of your bowels, feeling like you're not going fully. Does the discomfort or pain have to be in like the rectal region or can you have discomfort or pain other places associated with constipation that are related to the pelvic floor? Does that question make sense? Like, yeah. is, is it, okay, here's an example, like abdominal pain. We have abdominal mm -hmm. pain or discomfort before going to the bathroom, let's say. People don't really know maybe what straining is and what looks like, and they might be straining without realizing it or having discomfort or pain in their abdomen. So what would straining look like and how can we figure out if that is related to, you know, something that we would have to see a pelvic floor PT for? Sure. So if you are, you know, pooping and you feel like you have to hold your breath, if you have to really, I call it like purple pushing almost, right? You hold your breath, you clench your jaw, and you feel like you're really using your abs to force downward, right? You're trying to create a pressure system to force things out of your body, right? So you're actually using more of that, like upper ab, lower ab, even maybe a little bit of pelvis to really force everything downward. So that is a straining type of technique that people may be seeing. Also, some people also use their hands in their pelvis or even in their lower belly to push, right? Sometimes people feel like they have to like physically push on their belly or even potentially on their perineum, that external part between either 
penis and rectum or also, you know, vagina and rectum, that perineal body space to also help get it out. That can be another, not a straining technique, but it's more so of a facilitation technique to help eliminate better. What sorts of things do you do to help someone who is coming to see you Let's start with specifically for constipation, since I know we're going to talk a little bit more that there might be constipation disguised in some other conditions. What are your like top three things that you're going to educate that patient about? Well, I think in terms of education for constipation, we have to really look at the person in front of us, right? So top three things that I will start to look at are how much fluid are they taking in? How much water are they drinking? And how are they drinking it during the day? What does their diet look like? So our bowel is a very, it's slow. It's slow at its learning, right? So we really have to be persistent in how we eat and how we drink. And then I think it's probably a tie between pelvic floor connection in terms of finding positions that relax the pelvic floor and breathing into that space. We want to be able to feel our pelvic floor like descend or drop on our inhale when our belly gets big to feel that relaxation, but then also toileting position, right? So a little bit more positional, stretchy kind of technique. So talking about diet and fluid, because I think that is sometimes where some clinicians feel uncertain Mm -hmm. on how to guide their patients. What kind of advice are you giving to someone in terms of, you mentioned how much fluid and when to drink that fluid and the diet? Step one of advice that I typically give people is that we have to meet them where they are, right? We understand that the recommendations and the guidelines are we're shooting for somewhere between 25 and 35 grams of fiber per day. And you want to mix it up between, you know, your soluble versus your insoluble fiber. And then for your water, you know, water intake recommendations vary. You'll see your eight, eight ounce glasses. You'll see half your body weight in ounces. Sometimes people shoot for more than that. But what I tell most people is, Let's take the water and make it manageable, right? Let's shoot for something that feels, I call it sub-threshold or like sub-triggering that's not going to go right in our bodies and out of our bodies. So like a six ounces of water per hour awake. And I pulled that number from a study that was done out of Canada looking at how we drink our water. And if we take it in smaller amounts more consistently throughout the day, we will actually be able to keep it in our gut and use it for hydration and absorb it rather than having it kind of trigger a flush mechanism, if you will. And then Mm. for the fiber, I'm looking a lot at like, okay, if this is someone who is like adverse to veggies and like adverse to something that is higher in fiber, where can we start, right? Do we want to start with one serving of fruit and or veggie per day? Can we slowly start to build that up? which foods have the most bang for our buck, right? Like berries versus something else. And we want to slowly build from there because if we take in too much fiber too quickly, it also may bloat us and that may increase pressure in our pelvis and discomfort and kind of mess with our mechanics. So it's really truly about finding a good starting point and building from there. Finding that starting point, but also monitoring and seeing like, how are you feeling throughout and what are your symptoms looking like? Absolutely. And then, of course, like, I feel like the big takeaway there is don't chug your water. Don't chug your water, please. If you take (laughs) anything away from this podcast, don't do it. (laughs) Like, for a lot of reasons, I think that we could get into, but we'll stick with constipation today. 
popping in here to say that flight is available at $395 or with a discount through certain PT and doctors with a performance back guarantee and payment plans available. We are also a partner with Agile Virtual PT and can hook you up to one-on-one -on -one individualized care that fits into your busy lifestyle. Just schedule a call with us or email us via www.flighttherapy.com. All right, back to the show. So this is kind of a, a question that's a little different, but I think is important. So I want to ask you this. How does anxiety play a role into our bowel movements? Sure. So truthfully, I hear anxiety kind of present itself in one of two ways, right? So there are some people who are reporting like the nervous poops, right? You're about to give a big presentation or you're really anxious or nervous about something and you feel like you, everything is just running right through you, right? And so that's really not constipation. That's more of just like everything is super quick and your body's trying to get everything out of you. On the other hand, I see people who have more chronic, right? So the first is more of an acute situation where we have like one presentation, it's here, it's short term. For some of more longstanding, maybe, you know, they're in a very rigorous, you know, graduate program or have like external family stressors that last a longer period of time, typically an upregulation of stress, right? Increased fight or flight is going to decrease our rest and digest. And so when our decrease in parasympathetic or our rest and digest, our gut doesn't move as well. And if we're not moving as well, then we have to start looking at how do we get the gut moving better first and foremost to stimulate movement to actually get things out of our body. And how do you get the gut moving better? That's a great question. So there are a couple of different things that we can do. So digestion starts at our mouth, right? So physically chewing, the process of mastication actually tells our gut that we need to move. It's like you're on a train and your train cannot pull into the station until the train before you leaves the track. So when we physically chew, it tells our colon and our small intestines to start peristalsis and start moving things along. So physically chewing is one big thing, one small little change that you can implement to start getting things to move well. And then also there are external like abdominal massage techniques that we can use called bowel massage techniques. There are a couple different variations to help also stimulate that movement. I remember going to a conference and going to a talk about bowel management and someone had presented a study where they were talking about, we need to be chewing our food 44 times before we swallow. And I remember going to lunch that day and being like, oh my God, I need three hours. I need three hours. Yeah. I don't actually chew that much. Um, I don't even think I have time to chew that much today, <laughs> but more power to you. If you can chew that much, go crazy. Yeah. Chew your food, right? Chew Make your sure food. that you're starting there. One last question before we go into our case study, and I think it's sure. going to be a really relevant one, which is just that our body works as a system. We know it's all connected. So when talking about constipation, how does that impact other aspects of our health? So that might include bladder, sexual health, or, or beyond that. Oh, this is a great question. So there's only so much room in your pelvis, right? And when we have constipation or, you know, stool that's building up in the rectum, that is going to start taking up space in your pelvis. And so when there's a lot of pressure that can actually impact the organs in front of your rectum, aka, you know, vagina, uterus, also bladder, kind of pulling those things forward. And with that pressure forward, we can start seeing symptoms that 
feel very much more bladder or sexual health related pain with sex, urinary frequency or urgency that are actually being driven by potential bowel movements. So that are like just impending exit, basically. So definitely important to make sure that we look at you as a whole person, even if you're coming to me for something that's, quote, not constipation related, it's still important to make sure we rule in or rule out those things. Do you find that patients who are coming to you in your clinic, do you find that they're coming to you for constipation or are they generally coming in for something else and you kind of uncover that constipation? Like how self-aware are people generally of that aspect? People are totally self-aware that they're constipated, but most of the time what I hear is, I'm here for blank, something not constipation related, and I've just been constipated my whole life. That's my normal. So I typically hear that it's normal for them, quote unquote, but they don't realize that there's like an interlink between what they're telling me that they're really here for and the constipation. Yeah, so spot on with that. I just feel like that's kind of maybe the best segue into your case study. You mentioned to me it has something to do with this. So let's go right into that. To kick us off, what are some of the key things we should know about this patient in your case study? Absolutely. So this individual, when she came to me, she was uh, 27 years old. And the chief complaint, the reason why she was coming to see me was actually urinary urgency and frequency, which had increased in the last six months. And other big things to note is that she had a big life transition into a big job, big promotion, big change for her, which also had an increase in stress. And it also had a crazy schedule. So her big goals when she came to see me where she wanted to make sure that her urgency and frequency were under control because her frequency was getting in the way of meetings and her like big to do's for work. And her urgency was just very annoying. She couldn't really focus at her at her job. Yeah. And I can imagine that would be very frustrating and difficult to just function day to day. Absolutely. It's totally distracting. So day one, you know, we sit and we chat and she tells me her whole story. And when we get to the point where we start diving into, you know, what are her bladder habits? What are her bowel habits? We start chatting. We start talking about constipation or her bowel habits, if you will. And she was telling me that she only has a bowel movement now. So this is newer for her, probably two times a week. That was her current norm. Historically, though, so pre-getting this big promotion, she was going about four times per week. Her stool consistency also has changed recently. So she was starting to be bristle stool two-ish. And she noticed that she had to rush. She always felt like she was in a hurry to finish her bowel movement. Um, And so we had her track that data. I actually sent her home with a bladder and bowel diary. And I was like, listen, sometimes we perceive that things are happening either more frequently or less frequently than they're really happening. And so we wanted to track the data. Was it something that she was pretty aware of just right off the bat? No, she actually didn't put two and two together, if you will, that in the last six months is when her stools actually changed. Um, She thought that it was just the urinary things that started to become more annoying. And turns out her bowels are also kind of changing as well. Like, I feel like that's just such a great example of we are all connected and it does create changes that we may not be aware of. So just having that guidance to really learn what might have changed is so helpful incredibly helpful. And when she came back with her her bowel and bladder diary and we went through it, I mean, she was actually emptying 
a handful of times during the day, more so than what we would consider optimal void interval amounts. And she was definitely both going infrequently and she wasn't going well. So after that first or second session, that would be because we went over all of the, you know, educational pieces, we started to implement dietary changes, water changes, because she was a water chugger, right? So she was taking in, you know, 18, 20 ounces at a time, and then she would go a long period of time without any water. Um, we also started implementing stretching and more meditation and more pelvic floor connection with her breath. And we optimized her like pooping mechanics. And truthfully, within eight weeks, her stools improved. And with her stools improving, her urinary symptoms disappeared. It really was not her bladder. Incredible. I know. So the water chug part too, going back to what you said with her job just being so busy, we chug water when we can, but then we don't have any time to go to the bathroom. And so by the end of the day, you, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, I'm going all the time, but you're just not going to the bathroom, maybe the appropriate number of times throughout the day. And that bowel and bladder log that you talked about can be very helpful. So if you don't mind, Jen, just kind of describing what that log looks like. If someone was interested in doing that on their own at home, how sure. can they do that? Absolutely. So truthfully, you can create one of these in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet actually pretty easily. So in the first column, you're going to have the times of day, right? So starting at midnight, basically, and then every hour, if you will, until, you know, 11 p.m. The second column, I want to know food and fluid. What are you taking in? Be super specific. Third column is going to be how often have you peed? And I want to know how long are your streams? So count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and then jot down the number. My fourth column also talks about bowel movements. When are you having them and what type are they? So I also send my people home with a bristle stool scale. The following column is going to look at urgency. So can you rate how urgy you felt on like a zero to three type of scale? So was it like minimal? Was it a little bit? Was it like super intense? The next column is leakage, right? So if there is any sort of urinary or fecal leakage, you will want to denote that. And then the last column is notes or like anything more pertinent to add. And then we will go through that after we track somewhere between, it depends on the person, three to seven days. If it's more bowel related, I have them track for seven. How would you then go through that? So you mentioned you would kind of review the log. What sorts of patterns are you looking for there? Sure. I want to see how often are you peeing during the day, right? Are you going every hour? Or are you going once every five to six hours? Like, you know, what works in your day or what are you doing in that moment? What are your stool consistencies looking like? And also how long are your streams? We want to start figuring out where's your baseline? Where are we starting in that moment? And then where do we make the smallest change for the biggest effect? So I feel like that is something that can be easy to do at home on your own. But then if you wanted further guidance or you just weren't sure where to go with that, like seeing a provider and bringing that log with you could be a great place to start. Absolutely. And sometimes it is really hard to see like the, the forest through the trees when you're living in it. It can be very difficult. So, you know, finding a provider who can help to streamline the process and figure out which one of those tiny changes will be the biggest bang for your buck can be very helpful. How is your patient doing now? How is she doing with the urinary symptoms at work? You mentioned her constipation is improving. She is thriving. She successfully discharged not too long ago. She is 
really feeling like she's set up for success. And we also have implemented strategies to kind of help her mitigate stressful work deadlines, but she is doing great. I think that we covered a lot here. I think we could talk about constipation forever and ever, but (laughs) is there any like last gem that you want to share with everyone um, about either dealing with constipation or treating it? Mm. I would suggest that you're constipated until you prove yourself wrong. You know, track your data and see see what comes up. Maybe you'll be surprised. It just even reminds me, I had a conversation with a fitness coach who works with um, the prenatal and postnatal community. And we had this conversation about constipation. And she said, you know, on my intake forms, I asked my women if they are constipated, what their bowel movements are like. But she was like, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to ask about what type of stool is it? Like how often are they going? And all these details, which I just think is so fantastic. We should be asking those questions more often and maybe even asking them of ourselves. Absolutely. And that will be a really great resource for her to refer out. So I think that that is just such a cool interdisciplinary opportunity. Absolutely. Um, That's Mm -hmm. super cool. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time. It has been incredible talking to you. Um, You are super articulate and I'm always impressed with very articulate people because I feel like I stumble over my words all the time. (laughs) Really, really great to have you on. I want to make sure that everyone can just know where to find you if they want to learn more about you, your practice, and some of the education and great stuff you put out there. So if you don't mind just kind of letting everyone know where they can find you. Sure. So you can find me on social. So like Instagram or TikTok. And my handle is at doc, D-O-C underscore Jen Morgan. And that's J-E-N-M-O-R-G-A-N. My clinic is called Centrality Physical Therapy and Wellness. And our website is www.centrality, C-E-N-T-R-A-L-I-T-Y, wellness.com. Great. Thank you so much, Jen. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you again. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Pelvic Floor at its Core. Quick disclaimer for you, Flight by Pelvidol is approved for pelvic floor strengthening and SUI only. All information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace medical advice. Always seek out a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about a medical condition. And if you have a question about flight and its indications for use, please see our website at flighttherapy.com. And that's it. See you next time on the next episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core.